0: Things before we uh, get into the message today, we're going to look at a story from the life of Gideon. Um, but I do want to take some time just to pray for the Martin family, as many of us have been doing uh, through our community. So let's do that right now. And so God, we come and bring to you, uh, brothers and sisters, uh, both um, uh, Stacy and and of course Mason, and their physical things, the things that are going on, and we just pray, Lord, for this family as they are suffering and dealing with a tremendous stress tremendous worry uh we just we pray lord for your presence to be so just dynamic and active in their lives and in their hearts that they uh they can yet say we will serve the lord regardless nonetheless we will serve the lord so lord we pray for that grace we pray for the peace we pray for the comfort and of course lord we pray for your healing touch for this family and we pray this in your name thank you Um, Okay, um, and one other thing. Excuse me, I was doing some dusty work yesterday, and so I got—I was inhaling crud. Uh, uh, I got a real letter today, uh, in long ago and far away. Remember when I went on sabbatical? Uh, There's—I and I met this. Pa- I'm trying to remember how we actually met, uh, but I met a pastor from Evans City, and his name's uh, Dave Trapeer. Uh, and his church is a um, uh, gospel light church in Evans City. So you go through the guts of town, I think it's a second light, you turn left. And so he says this, dear John Zion Church and Pastor Joe, I just wanted you to send you a brief note to let you know that our church prayed for you during our main service this past Sunday. Uh, in, uh, we pray that God would strengthen you with as a church, that you would stay unified as a body, and that you would have a great impact for the body of Christ in the kingdom of God in your community. For sure, we know uh, how much we need to be praying for one another, and now we are working together for the glory of the Lord. I pray that God, uh, I I pray that God continues to bless you guys. There, stay faithful in the Lord. Seek. His glory above all else, your fellow servant in Christ, Dave. So uh, I appreciate that. He actually, he and his father-in-law started a monthly prayer meeting where he, he's invited pastors to join them uh, at their campus. So I I go down there, and then I rush to Clarion for my meetings. But I appreciated that. Uh, and uh, we could be praying for them as well. Hey, memory verse. Remember John eight forty-seven. if you've been working on that. Just to let you know, if if these words sound harsh, it's because they are. Uh, Jesus is speaking not to just regular followers. He's speaking to the religious. He's speaking to the people that would one day hang him on a cross. So the one who is from God listens to God's words. This is why you don't listen, because you are not from God. There, I got it. So with me now, the one who is from God listens to God's word. This is why you do not listen because you are not from God. All right, you have to be from God to hear. Uh, we've been looking at again experiencing God going through these seven realities. If you've been following in the workbooks or in a life group or doing that on your own, or just here on Sunday, we we're, we're at a thing called crisis of belief, and really crisis is kind of an interesting word it sounds like it's a it's a problem it's an emergency there's a crisis your pipes are bursting and all in the you know there's a fire in the other room you know there's it's by crisis what we really mean is there's a crossroads is there going to be a actual doing what god said to do and we see these throughout scripture almost on every page for example in mark 9 there's a man who uh, says to Jesus, help me in my unbelief. Because he previously said to Jesus, if you can do something. And Jesus, what do you mean if, buddy? Uh, And he he did do something, though. He heard about Jesus, and he brought his child to Jesus. So there was a crisis where he had to decide if he's actually going to follow through. By taking his son, he demonstrated faith. And no crisis of belief, no crossroad is the same for every person. And and, and even at the same time, we ideally are going to have these multiple times, maybe throughout the week, some big, some small, where we're going to have to decide, am I going to follow Christ? It may be as big as a burning bush kind of thing. But it's likely it's going to be a smaller thing like obeying the scriptures or sharing the gospel with your neighbor or forgiving someone who's offended you. These things that we already know from scripture that we should be doing. And we come across a a passage or something in our quiet time or here or someone else mentions it. And then we say, "Ooh, hmm. God's speaking to me about doing something. When we surrender, we're giving more of ourselves, our very being, our hearts to the Lord and saying, yes, I'm going to do what you said. God may ask us to do something very God-sized, at least in our heart. Maybe it's not a big deal like in, you know, it's going to be a national thing or be on the news, but it is a time and a moment. It's just as significant whether it is well-known or unknown. The point is, are you following the Lord? The crisis of belief is actually not just believing. Well, yeah, I believe it. And you're standing there just passively. I believe it. Belief really has to be followed by action. Do you really believe what God said? If we do, then you're going to get up and do what he's saying to do. Belief is not a passive thing. So we are going to look at a big splash story today, and it's the story of Gideon. Uh, Let's get into it. There's a lot of reading to do here, and actually I kind of cut down Gideon's story. There's about um, three chapters about Gideon. And I don't know, sometimes whoever divided up the scripture chapters, sometimes they make real small ones, and sometimes they make real big ones. But for whatever reason, the Judges chapters tend to be really big. Um, and so, but we're gonna, we're gonna look at just part of it. But let me give you a background so you know what's going on in the book of Judges. This was a horrible, horrible time for the nation of Israel. Lots of idolatry, lots of messing up lots of terrible things to happen way back with moses god had them shout the blessings and curses to one another if they obeyed as a nation and these are promises for israel now if they obey god as a nation he would bless them with with prosperity with protection with uh, uh, crops and flocks and everything that they would need but if they disobeyed them, then God would discipline them. He would bring things about them, they would have, they would have sickness, they would, their, their crops would fail, the, Things would just be really, really bad. And, and so they shout these blessings and curses to one another in this valley um, that they had set up. And they're not doing the blessing stuff. They're not following the Lord. They are breaking every single of the Ten Commandments and beyond that. Largely what they're doing is idolatry uh, and and worshiping other gods. The generation of Joshua, if you ever read the book of Joshua, very positive book. (coughs) There's a couple times where they mess up, but they're really not huge issues. They get right back on track again. Uh, But that generation's gone. And so, what happens in Joshua and Judges? Sorry, they go through this repeating cycle. First of all, there's a uh, uh, there's a sin, and again, that's always idolatry. They follow other gods, and so God says, "Guys, you got to straighten up." But they don't. So God sends a judgment. You got sin, and then judgment. This judgment is in the form of another nation. In this case, it's a group called the Midianites. And so they come and they essentially oppress Israel. They invade the land and oppress them. Then the people think, they kind of come to their senses and they think, what are we doing? Didn't God tell us this would happen? And they repent and God says, all right, now I'm gonna send you a judge. So you got sin, judgment, and a judge. And, and we have to change our thinking a little bit because when I think of the word judge, I think of someone you know in a courtroom with, with robes on. A judge in the, in that book is a military leader, a specific military leader that God sets up. And so the judge comes along and they delivers them from the people. So you have sin, judgment, judge, deliverance. And it's like washing your hair: lather, rinse, repeat. Because they they do that again. They keep, you you just keep reading judges and you, you have this deja vu moment. It's like, didn't they just do this? Yep. Different people, different circumstances, but they keep doing that cycle over and over again. They repent, and then over time, they start going back to idolatry, back to sin, judgment, judgment, deliverance, over and over again. But wait, it's worse than that. Because not only do they keep repeating that cycle, it gets worse and worse. So it's kind of like going down a drain. It starts good, and then it goes down, and it goes down, and it goes down and even worse. And the best way to illustrate that is to look at the judges themselves. The first few judges, you got um, Ehud and, and also Deborah, very, very solid, godly people, except Deborah's got this one general. He's kind of a, kind of a coward. Uh, but uh, then as, as you get moving on, the, the quality of the judge themselves actually goes down till you get to this guy named Samson, who's just a knucklehead. Uh, the lack of a better word. And so he's the last judge in the book of Judges. Then you get into Samuel, and you get Eli. He's worthless. And then finally Samuel is the last judge, but Samuel breaks the pattern. He's actually a very godly man, okay? So you see this. Now, where is Gideon in that, in that you know, repeated cycle? He's right about in the middle. He's a pretty good judge, but he's got some problems. He's going he's to face... Multiple crisis of belief, all right? Uh, They've sinned. God sends these people, the Midianites. Who are they? They are brutal. They are completely oppressing the people. They're coming in. They're taking all their food. They're not leaving anything for any. Well, I got kids. Too bad, we're taking your food. Uh, They're they're oppressing them, taking their flocks. Um, In fact, when we first read about Gideon in Judges, I think it's chapter 6, uh, he's doing something called threshing wheat. When you get wheat, you have to break off that, that hard shell the, uh, and, it's, and you thresh it. You bang it on the ground or, or on a rock or something or you throw it up in the air. And as you do, that, that light husk breaks off and the wind carries all the chaff away. That's called. It's worthless. You don't want chaff. You want the, the kernel. And so the first time we see Gideon is he's in a wine press. So think a big barrel thing. And he, he's throwing up this, wine, this grain, trying to thresh it as it goes up above uh, the top of the wine, uh, the wine press and then back down again. Uh, why is he doing that? Because if you're out on a field and you're threshing wheat, the Midianites can see you for miles and so, oh, look, they got grain, and they're going to go and take his grain away. So right away he's hiding, and this angel comes and visits him. and says, hey, mighty man of God. And he's probably looking around. <laughs> I'm trying to hide here uh, from the Midianites. Uh, the the angel gives him assurance. He, gives, he has actually a, a little miracle right there where the angel of the Lord causes a, a dis- just a, a, a burnt offering to sprout from a rock itself so he gets that sign but remember sin judgment so the sin is idolatry there's a couple idols that Israel kept going back to their names were Baal and Asherah and so he calls Gideon to first of all tear those down well remember he's a bit of a coward or he's scared and he does it at night and so he tears down the altars of, God, of these idols He needs constant reassuring of victory for his life. He does something called putting out a fleece. Did you ever hear that expression? To put out a fleece? And it's it's often misinterpreted. Because what people mean by that is they say, well, I don't know what God wants me to do, so I'll put out a fleece and see... um, if he confirms his will or not. And what happens to Gideon, now fleece is just a skin of a sheep with a wool on it. And so he he puts out this fleece because God tells him very clearly, you're going to defeat the Midianites. So what does that mean? Gideon, you're going to defeat the Midianites. He knows God's will. He gets it right from the mouth of an angel. Shouldn't be any doubt about it. But Gideon says, God, do you really, really, really want me to defeat the Midianites? I'll put out a fleece. He's not trying to find God's will. He's just trying to confirm it in his own hearts. So he has this actually a double test. He says, I'm going to put this fleece out. And you know how it is at night. There's dew. uh, What I want, first of all, let's get this right. um, Have only there be dew on the fleece and then all the ground be dry. And sure, God says, okay. And so they, they go through that process. The fleece is wet. He wrings it out. And then uh, the, the ground is dry. And then Gideon says, God, do you really, 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 really want me to do this? Tell you what, God, let's switch it. Let's let the ground be wet and the fleece be dry. God says, okay. And does that. And again, what some people use that as trying to test God of of. I don't know, just doing a, you know, God, if, 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 if you want me to go to this school or take this job, then have my Aunt Sally call me from Wyoming. You know, they just kind of throw this test out. Well, maybe Aunt Sally calls you every other day, so maybe that's kind of going to happen anyway. Uh, or maybe you haven't heard from her in 20 years, and all of a sudden she calls. And you, <gasps> it's from God. Um, I, I kind of did that when I was debating met, uh, when I should ask Trish to marry me, uh, because we'd only been dating for two months and I really wanted to marry her. And I thought, that's just crazy. Mm-hmm. And so I had a list of about five things that I said, God, these things need to happen. I wasn't really setting out a fleece. I was just saying, God, these five things need to happen. Most of which were out of my control. I said, when those things happen, then I'll ask her. Well, and I thought reasonably it'd be about a year. It was one month, so I said, fine. And so I asked her, to marry me. Gideon needs constant assurance. And so finally, 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 he has this uh, time where he's actually going to do what God wants him to do. So again, a lot of reading today. Judges chapter seven, verses two through eight. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give to the Midianites in their hand, lest Israel should boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now, if you're kind of a frightened guy anyway, is this what you want to hear? Not really. Now, therefore, proclaim to the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people return, and Gideon only had 10,000 that remained. The Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. They're still too many. Take them down to the water and I will test them for you there. If anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you. Uh, and anyone who I say, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. Excuse me. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. Uh, And the number of those who lapped, in specific here, putting their hands to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with these 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give to the Midianites into your hand. And let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men, and the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. All right. So let's do a little math here today. Now Gideon had 32,000 in his army. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good-sized army. However... It's not real specific how many Midianites, and there's another group called the Amalekites were there too, how many they had. But in chapter 8, there's an implication that they had 135,000. So Gideon right off the bat is outnumbered four to one. It says, we'll read later, their soldiers were as locusts, their camels as the sand of the sea. So So that means if you're in Gideon's army, you had to kill four guys. At least four to one, but God says, We're gonna call down this force. And so, anyone, who says, anyone who's scared, you can go. Well, he loses 22,000, about a third. Now he's down to 10,000. Still, that I mean, 10,000 is a lot of people a lot of soldiers. And they had this water drink test, and the soldiers were brought down, and there's a lot of debate on how significant this test was. If, if you've ever been hiking or you've been in a wilderness area, sometimes you, know, you, you run out of water, you get really, really thirsty, or, or you're just at home and you're at, the, you're at the spigot. Isn't it nice just to, just, you know, just get a whole bunch of water, just gulp it down, or if you find a, a nice clear stream and you're just so thirsty, you're just, I'm just going to stick my face in that and just drink. Especially if you're in a, like a survival mode kind of thing. Well, these guys were going down to drink. Most of them just stuck their face in the water. They just knelt down and put their face all the way in the water. But some of them did this. They went down to the water and they reached down and they... Now that's harder. It's slower. Only 300 drank like that. And again, a lot of speculation. Did it mean the others were evil? No, not necessarily. But here's the the best guess, is if you're drinking like this, so you're able to keep an eye out, we're in the army. If you're leaning all the way down, sticking your face, you're exposing your neck. And you probably can't hear well either. And so someone can come and hurt you. Maybe that's it. Maybe just because. (laughs) We don't know. But he's down now to 300 men. Now when he lost his first group, the odds went down to, um, uh, where is it? 13 and a half to one. Now with only 300 men, the odds are, 450 to 1. I mean, they don't have a chance. Logically, right? They don't have a chance. The Lord is their only hope. There are only things that God can do. So this crisis of belief is too, is even more of a crisis now. So there was too many people. Now the plan is just too crazy. So uh, verse uh, chapter 7, verse 9. That same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I've given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, and I get to see Gideon, yeah, that's me. I am afraid to go down, especially God, because you just culled my force down to 300 lousy people. He's scared. Go down to the camp with Purah your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Purah his servant to the outpost of the armed men who were at the camp. So they're going to the enemy camp, sneaking up there. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camel were without number as of the sand of the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, behold, I dreamed a dream and behold, a cake of barley, we'll explain this in a minute, tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given uh, the host of Midian in your hand. How much assurance does he need? God's very patient with Midian. He's not always patient. After the angelic call, after the double fleece sign, Will he believe and act on God's commands or not? So he hears this, overhears this dream, this prophecy that a barley loaf rolls over the camp of Midian. Again, kind of a, I don't know if your dreams are weird, mine are always weird. And so, how does this loaf of bread roll over a tent? And it did in his dream. Barley loaves are the loaves of the poor and the destitute. That was the cheapest bread. And Israel was seen that way they were poor and destitute and so they said that loaf represents israel it's going to roll over them so it predicts his victory again another prophecy and here something really sets in stone for gideon he worships even though the battle hasn't happened yet he says okay now the crisis of belief is now settled all right god i'm going into battle he shares this hope and the greatness of god so Look at how the battle goes. It's all one-sided. He, that's Gideon, divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets in the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of the camp and shout. For the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle of the watch. So we're talking early in the morning, and they had just set the watch. And they blew the trumpets, smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew their trumpets and broke the jars. They held their left hands with the torches and the right hands with the trumpets, and they cried out, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood his place. Around the camp, and the uh, and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the three hundred trumpets, the Lord sent every man's sword against his comrade and against the army. So again, not a very logical battle plan for three hundred guys. Let's go. We're going to have torches with a with a just a pitcher of something over the top, and presumably when they broke that pitcher's you got a big noise, and then all the oxygen rushes into their torch and it's like, blink, there they are. They're coming uh, on fire. And all they really had was the element of surprise. And they blew their trumpets, 300 trumpets, that's got to be significant. But God's plan is, look Gideon, I will do this. <coughs> God then sends a uh, kind of a confusion. They ran. They, they start killing each other. They're, they're just in a panic. So Gideon and the army routed and pursued them and, and captured them as we, if we were continue reading. That is a God-sized miracle. Earlier this series, we looked at the crossing of the Red Sea. This is another big splash event where God clearly says, this is what you're going to do, and I will be with you. Even though it's completely unlogical, God would would will would be done even with a very hesitant hero. He knew what was going on the whole time. Now we love taking the credit, at least generally, don't we? Don't we like getting accolades and pats on the back, whether how smart we are, how skilled we are, how rich or influential we are? We like that. It kind of feels good. It feels good to get praise in that way. But God says, you can't think of success. You can't think of power in that way. It's your dedication to him. I like this Psalm 118, verses eight and nine. It says, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than trust in men. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than trust in princes. See, God doesn't measure odds. I know we calculated the odds, but God doesn't. Think of what he did in the New Testament, right? He had 12 guys when Jesus is dying. And then in Acts chapter 2, there's about 120 people. There's I don't know how many people were alive in the world at that time. or uh, what, what are we up to now? 7 billion? Well, 120 people have launched a movement by the Spirit of God to bring salvation to the entire world. Some of my Wycliffe missionary friends tell me that they are close to having a New Testament in every known language. Started with 120 people hiding in an upper room. That's what God does. So whether it is a big church or a little church or a medium-sized church, that's a... So, so what? Don't underestimate what he can do. When God is behind something, we could be reckless. God works in also the big things and in the everyday things. We have to work through our own crisis of belief. And I don't know, I don't know the pattern of it, why sometimes God is very patient, I mean, he's really patient with Gideon throughout this entire story. And then you look at it like with Moses, and you kind of get the feeling of God saying, <sighs> in fact, this is God got angry with Moses as he's debating about going to Pharaoh or not. I don't know why, why, how that varies. But either way, God's going to have his way. And so the question for us individually and as a church, what is your crisis of belief? Is there something that God is calling you to do out of obedience to his word? Maybe he's worked in your heart and your mind and you think, ooh, I don't know about that. Now the story, don't misunderstand, the story does not give us a blank check with God. We can't get some wild hair idea about something and say, oh, God told me this, I'm gonna go do it. And then, and then you're really, you're just trying to twist God's arm to make your plan come true. We have to listen to the Lord. He, though, can over, when, it's, when it's him, he could overcome insurmountable obstacles. We're talking about his plan and the goals. In our workbooks, if you're doing those, one quote is, once I know what God is doing, then I know what I need to do. It's Henry Blackaby. Once I know what God is doing, then I know what I need to do. What is God doing in our church and community now for which we need to, need to trust them? What is our crisis of belief? Maybe that's something to do with the Martin family. I don't know. Maybe there's something we're not aware of yet. Um, um, November 11th, and I was going to announce this later, but We're having a a group from Grove City College that are going to lead us in three hours of prayer and worship. There'll be breaks. And when they wanted to do this, I thought, I'll be honest. Will people come? Yes. We've been praying to be more and more of a people of prayer. And as and, and this kind of just fell into my lap. And I even think there's some resistance on the spiritual level to this because, um, Friday I was meeting the class via a you know a Zoom kind of call, a, a video call. And all day, I just had this dread. I don't know what I don't know what it was from. Just this dread. I don't feel like talking. I don't want to talk about it. I don't, you know, I don't know why. I, I just don't feel, I, I'm just uncomfortable about having a conversation with this group of students today on Friday. I said, no, no. In fact, I got to tell you, whenever I felt that in my life, that, that dread about something, every time, and then this is just my experience, every time, it's not been from the Lord. It's been some, from some other force. It's been for some, either myself or maybe even some spiritual force. And, and but it was, I tell you, it was really strong on Friday. And I said, no, no, no. This is one of those times I need to, to follow through with this. I gotta tell you that I left so jazzed after that phone call. Just what they're planning, what they're doing, how they're praying, how they're going to lead us. This is not going to be something where we come and be entertained. We're, we're, going, to, we're going to be um, uh, part of what they are doing. You're not going to be embarrassed or anything like that. And by the way, if you know other believers and other churches, they're welcome to come. But I left, I, we, we, we hung up the phone and I said, oh, I am so glad I got to talk to these people. And, and these, these students are so excited and fired up and enthusiastic about coming and leading us in a time of prayer and worship. And you know what? If there's five of us here, there's five of us here. And if, and if all of us here or other people in the community, that's, even, that's great too. Come and join us. Mark it down. Block it off, make it a priority, November 11th, 9 to 12. And they're supposed to also feed us after that. Maybe we'll call a fast on Friday before. Oh, we also talked about having childcare available. That's not official yet. But they're hoping for, so for part of the time the kids will be with us, and then they'll have some others who will take the kids downstairs. And, and do some activities and crafts and so forth with them. But that's not confirmed yet. But boy, I tell you, I, was, I, I, I hung out the phone and I said, yes, God, this is something we should do. And I hope you, it, it's not something you, we have to do. It's something we get to do. Change our thinking. Let's think about it pausing and praying here together. Uh, first of all, God does God-size things He does does the the things that are known throughout history, and he also does maybe just the stuff that we know and everything in between. He does that. He draws people. Think about how significant it is that God changes hearts. That's a God-sized thing. And then he involves us in his work, large or small, big or great. He says, come on, I want you as my son or my daughter or my church to come and do what I'm doing and maybe God has been speaking to you maybe there's a neighbor maybe there's a friend maybe there's a family member you need to share the gospel with maybe there's 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 an issue in a relationship that's been busted up um, again I I, I, I I can't go into details but I'm, I'm aware of a possible conflict between some other believers uh, in in our community not here at Zion but in our community and God says we're to be reconcilers. I know it's the will of God that we bring reconciliation and peace. So I know that's what God wants. And quite frankly, I might step in a big pile of poo and cause everyone to be mad at me. But it's, I think we might need to do that in order to hopefully bring reconciliation. I'll tell you what, knowing the people involved, that would be a God-sized thing because they're kind of stubborn. God wants me to, what is he calling you to do? Maybe it's trust him. Maybe he wants you to go overseas this summer. Maybe he wants you to um, uh, forgive someone who hurt you deeply. That's a God-sized thing. Let's spend some time in pausing and praying here. You may pray out loud or um, uh, at least pray quietly with us as we're praying. Let's pray.
1: Mm-hmm. Father, the atrocities that have happened there. And you're aware of them. And it's you these are your chosen people. Jerusalem is the city, Father, that you keep talking about even in the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> liabilities that you use or or measure into what you are doing. Um, Gideon was hiding. 12 to 720, 120, they were hiding. We've got nothing to offer you, Lord. Mm -hmm. Even though it is you who have gifted us, it is you that have given us our talents, our abilities. But God, at the end of the day, so many times, It is you who does God-sized things. It is you Mm -hmm. that empowers us to be part of what you are doing. God, I ask for your forgiveness when I have limited what you can do. Mm
0: I can think of all kinds of stories of God-sized things that I've been able to witness or see and, uh, and actually be part of. And Lord, you're not, you are not limited by the things that we look to, of, of the time and the money and the resources and the number of people. Um, we, we are not what they call a megachurch, and I'm not even sure I want us to be. We're a group of people in a town that I've asked people where Carn City is, they don't even know. But you hear us. The Lord of the universe hears us. We have access to the God of heaven, and Lord, we want to turn our hearts to what you want to do, what you want to accomplish. Maybe these things are you've already revealed. Maybe you're yet to reveal them. But Lord, most of all, you've given us ears to hear that we would hear what the Spirit is saying to this church. And God, as you as you revealed things to me, even with uh, this morning of. People to get in touch with, people to talk to. I, I pray you would go before me, especially before these people where reconciliation needs to happen. Um, God, I, I just—it it has a very possibility of turning really nasty. But regardless, I want to follow your will because I know it's—I know it's reconciliation within your body of people to bring about unity, and so I know that's your will. And so I want to follow through. So by the power of your your word and your spirit. Large or small things, Lord, we're ready to do what you want us to do. In your name, amen. I already mentioned um, November 11th as our worship team comes back up and gets ready. Uh, The other thing, this Saturday is we're doing a workshop called Reclaim. And uh, we are, if you remember back in Labor Day, Sunday, I gave a message on Acts 6:4 4 about uh, uh, leaders focusing on prayer and the Word. And Reclaim is a workshop where we're going to encourage pastors, elders, church leaders to do that. Uh, and so it's with a group I've been involved with for a while called 6-4 Fellowship. And many, many of the people here are already involved with that already. Uh, and so just ask you to be praying for that. It'll be at 10 to 1.30 on this Saturday. Um, so uh, if you see a bunch of cars here, that's what's going on. Uh, then, uh, many of you have been asking about Celebration Sunday, Celebration Offering, if you've been with us for a while uh, in at Zion. After we finished our 40 days, there are times we got together with our other campuses. Sometimes not. We are not this year, uh, but we're, we're also been kind of rethinking the Uh, what we call our celebration offering, and now referring it to a kingdom offering. And what we've done is we've said, let's ask God for um, anything above and beyond our regular offering. And it could be, we've we've done different things, like we've paid off this building, we've done missions things, we've done other uh, local things and activities where we've trusted God for something great. So, whatever is above and beyond our regular offering, and just saying, just pray, just ask God. If He, if he says, give an extra $5, then do an extra $5. If He says an extra $500, do an extra $500. Whatever He tells you, just saying, encourage you, do what He tells you. Uh, and, and we will apply that three different ways. We're looking at local, regional, and internationally, all right? The one, one, first thing we're going to do is, if we, if we get $500 extra, we're, we're going to, uh, we, we've been, just several of us have been burdened for our youth, our students, junior high and high school students. There is a devotional, now. they've been working on experiencing God for the youth on Sunday nights. But there's a devotional with Word of Life for teens, and actually for adults too, where we like to get a bunch of those. And first of all, for our own students, and if their parents want to do it with them, them as well. And then for their, if their friends want to join them too, them, we have copies where they can give it to their friends. So, right off the top, there's that first 500. The next one, we're going to, whatever's over that, we're going to divide in half two ways. Am I making sense so far? Okay. Regionally, uh, several of us have been more and more involved with Living in Liberty. So whatever's over that 500, we'll, half of that will go to Living in Liberty. Okay? Special gift for them. And then the other half will go internationally. We just started supporting uh, ABC, uh, all Bible communities in uh, Rwanda, where the, the passion that this group of believers have is very, very good, but their literacy and the Word of God is awful. And so old friend of mine, Dr. Gary Friesen, Uh, left the academic world and became a missionary in Rwanda. And so he's training both the individual church members and pastors on just the word of God, building their literacy. And so that's where the other 50% will go as a special gift to them. They're actually building a library for uh, the pastors. I think it's like 70,000 books they're trying to get shipped to Rwanda. And so maybe it'll go towards that. Let's continue in our worship as, as we sing, God Call Me Higher.